0: Hello, and
1: welcome to Tapped In. I'm your host, Dave Morales, and this podcast is an extension of the Bellingham Tap Trail, where we hang out and chat with people involved in the local brewing scene. This month, we're sitting down with Robert Sanner, head brewer at 122 West. I think there's still a bit of confusion about 122 West. Yes, it's in the old Melvin building, but no, it has nothing to do with and has zero ties to Melvin. Essentially, it was a turnkey brewery just begging to be reinvented and here we are. We talk about that, the challenges involved in such an endeavor, turning theory into reality, and touch a bit on jousting. Today's Tap 10 conversation is sponsored by Puget Sound Energy's Green Power program. Green power is renewable power made from resources that are naturally replenishing. Doing your part to reduce carbon is easy. In fact, solar panels provide the electricity used to produce this podcast. Learn how you can support green power made right here in the Northwest at pse.com slash green power, all one word. Okie doke. Let's get on with it with Robert Sanner. Enjoy. Robert, thanks for for coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me yeah absolutely happy to excited to do this um congrats on the new opening of one twenty two west um i think uh i think that for a lot of people your name uh your name might not ring a bell but uh but they might recognize your face because you've been around for a little a little bit um different capacities uh hospitality industry um front of the house back of the house but uh but, you just recently took over the reins as the head brewer at one twenty two west um so uh again not not knowing you all that well in your background, just talk a bit about your brewing brewing background like when when did you start home brewing?
2: You know, home brewing was always kind of iffy territory, it was never a very controlled setting it, a lot of it was like those uh kind of like rogue um build your own beer kits that I would find inside the beverage store in the Midwest and my friends and I would get together and be like, Yeah, let's do this. And it was always like, okay, well I'm not too sure why I'm doing this, but uh <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and follow the instructions and do that. And then as things kind of just, you know, went further, you get more curious and more familiar and you just keep asking questions and picking up on the low way. But at the same time, my inspiration always stayed really alive with the beer. Uh starting over in the Chicago market um while I was inside of college, I got my first uh bar job, and I was actually working inside of a supermarket at the time as a uh like kind of like prep chef mm-hmm. and uh well I shouldn't say chef chefs have a lot more responsibility than that okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they call You're me, you are working in know. a kitchen, yes <laughs> professional yes. kitchen yeah. and I actually went over to a climbing gym and on my way back, I went to this uh, Mediterranean place called Nafnaf, and across the street. Naf Naf. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so I saw this sign across the street in this like same strip mall that I've gone to a million times. And uh, I poked my head inside there and saw coolers wrapping around the entire place and they were installing a bar, but it was just the framework at the time. And uh, the owners at the time came out and they're like, oh, Hey. Uh, are you looking for a job? And I was like, <laughs> well, what are you guys going to be like? Are you a beer store? And they're like, no, we're going to have uh 47 on draft, 550 different bottles and um, no food or anything like that. And I was like, well, yeah, that sounds pretty amazing. And uh, so I started off going inside of there and they were very thorough about us having to take classes and uh, make sure that we were actually passionate about it. And
1: All for educating servers and people involved yeah. in the industry.
2: And, you know, it's like it just like it really fueled me. Like it was one of those sink or swim type things where, you know, like you either ignite that passion further or you're going to burn right on out and get mm-hmm. out of there. And so, I got the job starting as barback and I worked my way up to, you know, being managing the place and I was doing all the ordering for it, cooler maintenance. Uh, so, I learned the ins and outs of a cooler at that point. Important traits to have as a brewer. Yes. Okay. And, you know, <laughs> you know, how things work. It, like really ingrained some like fundamental principles into me too. And uh, so, then I was inside of there for five years and I got into my mid twenties and was feeling kind of stagnant. And, you know, my passions are beer rock climbing and snowboarding Mm -hmm. and I would have to drive four hours to go anywhere inside the Midwest. And, you know, I was like kind of just feeling a little trapped out there. And, uh, so I just happened to choose Bellingham and I moved out here. Just randomly. um, Yeah. One of my friends uh, that I was actually working over at world of beer with, uh, she moved out here for college mm-hmm. and she just like posted online uh, one day that she was looking for a roommate. And, you know, this like 25 year old kid from the Midwest is like, yeah, sounds great. I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> and I just did it, you know? Yeah. And uh, I answered Craigslist emails on my way here and kind of stopped through the Badlands and had some fun out there. Uh, and I got a job at front of house managing with uh, NYP. And had absolutely no idea the scope of what was in for. (laughs) That's the New York pizza place that was on uh, James Street. Yep, yep. Yep. I believe it's Frankenstein's now. And uh, so then, like, after I got through training, they let me know that they entered bankruptcy. And they assured me that it was only Chapter 11, nothing to freak out about. And uh, we just had a trustee overseeing our spending. And Mm -hmm. uh, it just kind of got worse and worse. And then Mother's Day weekend, we got the call that, uh, our trustee changed us to chapter seven and we had to evacuate everyone out of the building and lock the doors. And
1: so now, was them, that
2: this year or last year? Oh, uh, this was two years ago, two years ago. Okay. Yeah. And, um, so and like, first thing I did is I called all the moms on the reservation book and apologized and said, we're not going to be open. Oh. And that was kind of a hard break. And, you yeah. know, I had like only moved here, you know, for like, Half a year at that point, and spent all my money getting my feet on the ground, and I was kind of freaking out being far away from home sure and uh so melvin brewing they uh had already done all of their hiring, and I just just kind of like shot in the dark, got the g m s number and I was like, Hey, man. Beer is my passion. All I do is work on the draft system between NYP and you know World of Beer, and I've got these certifications and everything like that. And I was like, if you can find any spot for me at all, like I would be so grateful. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ended up finding a spot with me uh, where I was doing bartending and um, front of house managing. And then as I uh, progressed on, we eventually got the brewing system in the fall. Uh, I started um, not only. Cause at that point I was already in charge of line cleaning inside of there and cooler maintenance. Cause that was like one of my strengths walking in mm-hmm. and I kind of just filled that gap. And so then the next step for me, was kind of starting to assist on, you know, like just cleaning of parts and getting familiar with professional brewing equipment. And, uh, I kind of did a little internship underneath the brewer at the time there and everything kind of crashed around after some time had passed there, uh, but I was already pretty familiar with the equipment. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, after that, his wife ended up passing away right. and he ended up having to, you know, go to Sweden for a little while. And I took care of the beer and, uh, you know, packaged off his like wife's charity beer. And then I ended up um, shortly thereafter taking off from Melbourne and I actually quit there Yeah. And uh, had the, the summer pretty much free. And then I ended up getting the call again. And they're like, hey, um, so we have some beer inside the tanks. And you're the most familiar with the equipment. And so
1: just to be clear, this is this is after you got the call again, after Melvin had officially shut. And then Gary took over, Gary Pickering um, took over. Or was this still
2: Melvin? This was still Melvin was at the still time. Melvin. I, I had okay. already, you know, quit Melvin. And I was completely away from all of that. I couldn't, you know, do any more of, you know, like the hole that was dug and, you know, just like bad memories. Yeah. Things, things
1: happen just for anybody who doesn't know. There was some, some issues that happened that definitely affected Melvin's presence here in Bellingham, if not all of their, um, presences. We
2: don't need to go into that. But yeah, but there were things that
1: happened. So there were just to be clear, there were specific reasons that you originally left.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And but then, you know, a lot of the internal structure had restructured. I was much more aligned with the people that had stuck around and the people that were hired on at that point. Uh they brought my good friend Jess in as a GM and she's been a long time Bellingham resident, mm-hmm. has a very large presence here and I really believe in her. And so I was like, okay, um, I'll come back and I can back you. And initially I wasn't even hired on. They just asked me to assess the situation on the tanks and <laughs> yeah, tell let us them what's know going what on. was inside yeah. them, if they were salvageable, you know? Right. And I ended up seeing that through and they're quite happy with the results. And, uh, so they actually flew this guy, uh, Katron out and he used to brew over at Midnight Sun, um, back with, uh, you know, Eric Jorgensen, I guess they grew up together and that was... You what's know, what's
1: his actual name
2: uh Courtney?
1: that's great, so he he just kind of yeah. came in as
2: like an overall consultant, yeah kind of and you know, kind of like just to like assess you know my ability and skill as a brewer mm-hmm. and like if I was you know a person that they wanted to entrust to you know move forward
1: mm-hmm. and, and so at this point what what is your actual brewing experience like at at that moment had you been home brewing at all or had you I mean, other than brewing under Dave at, at Melvin, had you done you know, any real brewing?
2: At that point, uh, I, well, like I certainly, you know, every brew day and, you know, throughout all the cellaring, like I was the cellerman at that point. So mm-hmm. I did everything cold side mm-hmm. and uh, saw through all of that. And then I would, you know, be shadowing and the assistant on hot side days. And so it's like, I already kind of knew what to do, but um, the biggest hurdle for me was uh, like recipe writing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what the brew house efficiencies were and I had to kind of figure out all the actual details of mm-hmm. it. And but after I ended up hammering that out, it wasn't bad at all. Like I thought I was going to be very overwhelmed and then I found my position myself in a position where I just knew what to do. So you
1: you were coming at this from a purely almost a purely theoretical point of view.
2: Oh purely theoretical. It's like <laughs> it's so great. Yeah every every day for like you know years just like reading and nerding out because you know inside of college I went for you know math and engineering and physics and I did chemistry inside of there and so I was like very intrigued like the further down the rabbit hole I got I just wanted to know more yeah and I just like you know I got off on it yeah and uh I got more and more excited and you know that passion never died and uh so when I was actually able to take the reins, it's like I just felt like I actually flourished.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's it's crazy to me. I mean, we, so we met just for the first time just uh, like last week or a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was I was impressed at your brewing knowledge. Like I would have never guessed that that that's how you rolled into it. We talked about it briefly, but we kind of purposely kept it vague so yeah. that we could talk about it here. And uh yeah, it's just crazy, but I mean, you were clearly ready and just talking to you the other day, and just your knowledge of water chemistry, and it, you just seem to have a a definite and clear idea of where you want to take one twenty two west. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really excited for you, watching you just be completely unfazed. You know, you just seemed completely at home, like you'd been in a brewery forever. So. Yeah that's amazing. And having tasted some of your beers, it's even more amazing (laughs) because they're really good and you can describe them to the detail as what exactly you want out of it. And, um,
0: yeah,
2: that's crazy. (laughs) And it's something that I really, you know, value inside of brewing is not only being able to kind of take this image inside of your head and having the know-how of how to translate that and actually achieve it, but, I'm huge on intentional flavors Mm -hmm. and so like I never want to just like have like a muddled image or just be like oh yeah it's sweet or you know something like that like going into it I spend a lot of thought you know sitting down and be like this is what I want to achieve Mm -hmm. and I sit there and I iron that out right and uh that's one of my favorite parts about it you know yeah
1: Yeah. Well, you're pretty much the personification of my belief that brewers are detail oriented people (laughs) because you go into so much detail. I just remember talking to you and just be like, wow, like you can describe every single part of this beer down to the percentage of this particular grain in there. And I, and understand what you got out of that, what resulted in that and, or already on the next path of, well, next time I'm going to change this or I'm going to do this,
2: you know, just. And
1: always, always tweaking.
2: Well, one of the things that like really helped me kind of form that, you know, image is uh, like not only making like little teas with ingredients and stuff like that, but like in the beginning, uh, I was very into smash beers. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to know what that one ingredient was doing. They're and then, great like, learning just, tools. Yeah. And, you know, like once you end up getting that going. Just really
1: quick for anyone who doesn't know, smash beer is single malt and single hop. Smash, single malt. So just one malt and one hop and you just really get to know those flavors of those things. Okay. Sorry.
2: And it's amazing (laughs) what you can do with only, you know, those four ingredients Mm -hmm. is you can make completely different beers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And using different yeasts as well. Like, okay, well now I know what this does with the Chico yeast. Was it, what does it do with the London yeast? What does it do with a, with a lager yeast? Yeah. Anything, everything. It's beautiful. Um, so, so at this point, it's it's still Melvin, but it, Melvin is kind of on their last legs as far as at least the Bellingham iteration of it. And so, just recently, this being uh, what is this? The end of September, twenty nineteen. Um, so Gary Pickering just recently took it over
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and rechristened it. It's still kind of in the transition as we speak of being rechristened One Twenty Two West. Still in the same building, same equipment. Some of the same people, but totally different vibe, totally different mission statement, um, and totally new beers, thanks to you. Uh, I mean, everything from the past has been jettisoned, and it's just a clean slate. Um, Just talk a little bit about that takeover and what your part in that was and when you got the call from Gary to say, hey, the gig's yours if you want it.
2: Yeah, you know, I already knew Gary from the industry, because uh, when I did end up taking off from Melvin, I got a gig over at Elizabeth Station, Mm -hmm. and uh, he was regular over there, so I was already familiar with him. Um, After everything happened, uh, he felt really bad for, you know, the employees who were local, and he came in and he bought house-brewed beer. And, uh, you know, he supported um, the staff that was, you know, like kind of feeling the repercussions of a person they never met.
1: Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of innocent uh, victims with that. Yeah. Outside of the actual incident.
2: And but he always like at the time it was kind of like a different stance because he was never, you know, like the person inside of their like. Uh, being like big and rambunctious or uh, you know that kind of like party feel or he never was inside of there like fanboying out buying all the swag and stuff Mm -hmm. like that it's like he was just like a good dude yeah yeah I know him a little bit and yeah he just likes good beer yeah and so when I ended up getting that call we had about a month and a half to flip everything over and make all new beer and I was like well, here we go. All right, let's <laughs> get going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So between, you know, four fermenters, uh, we were able to get out a couple of um, loggers and uh, fired on those right away and then kind of just juggled the other two fermenters at the time. And we were able to get 12 beers out by the time we opened a month and a half later.
1: That's impressive. And that was then- no small feat with four um, four oh. single, single um batch fermenters. And these are
2: all, you know, new recipes. I'd be sitting there inside of a brew day and like my sacrification rest, and I'd be like sourcing ingredients (laughs) and calling up reps, trying to set up accounts and writing recipes. And, you know, it's like, it was pretty mad for a little while. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, but a ton of fun. I mean, yeah. like, you're just like, you know, it's go time. That's what you want.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
2: so it was exciting and kind of overwhelming at the same time. Yeah.
1: You because, seem like, like the kind of person that's driven by that, though. Like, you get more juice from the, yeah. From like, all right, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to pull off.
2: Bring on the pressure, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> so awesome.
1: I love that. Um, well, now that you are the head brewer and you're just like, what, literally a month. Two months into it, yep. right? Um, what are your What are your plans? I mean, do you have you been able to even think about a little bit longer term plans as far as what direction you want to take uh, the brewery and your beers? Is there like a specific thing that you really want to move towards or away from? Uh, just wondering.
2: Yeah. So what, you know- how you,
1: how you see one twenty two West's spot in with all of the other breweries in town that kind of have their, their own little
2: niche. Certainly. And to my knowledge, uh, there's only three other breweries in town who are serving food. Mm -hmm. And so we're largely trying to incorporate our kitchen and to be part of it as part of our niche. And we're very inspired by, you know, farm to table locally sourced ingredients, supporting our neighborhoods and the kitchen. Everything is, it's a scratch kitchen. And I like to take the same mentality into the beer. Um, I do a lot of close work with Scotch Valley Malting. I largely support them. And I also... They are a sponsor. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, Thank you. But, uh, you know, also uh, we have a friend, Daryl, uh, who's a dentist in town. And he lives up in Ferndale and has 35 rows of blueberry bushes that are, you know, generally unused. And so we went out there, and we actually brought the brew crew, and we picked you know eighty five pounds of blueberries, all organic. Getting out there, I've been building relationships with farmers up on you know Highway Zero in Abbotsford, Canada, twenty five minutes north of here, you know. Mm-hmm. And we actually went out there and cut down the vines with them, and twined them up, and put them in the baler, and we were picking out the you know like brown cones and. leaves that made it through and you know literally like just hand selecting that and supporting small and local and that's you know part of my ethos but as far as the direction of the beer there's things that inspire me like i love a clean lager Mm -hmm. and i'm also very inspired by wild fermentations and i hope to one day you know have you know the facilities in which i can safely and the time? That yes, totally. Once you're caught up. But uh, I mean, and the basement can be a lot of fun for barrel projects too. You know, I'm like averaging uh, 60, 65 degrees year round down there. Uh, it's got a decent amount of humidity, but it's not, you know, moldy or anything like that. And yeah, so find it
1: super clean and you have a lot of room for expansion.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're sitting there thinking like, okay, well, what can I do with this room? I mean, we are in a basement. And you do have to hike upstairs every time you do anything, every outside keg sale I do, I have to haul a half barrel up those stairs and there's no elevators or lifts or, you know, anything. think. And mm-hmm. so that kind of makes me look at, you know, the idea of like future packaging, like we probably won't really ever have a bottling line down there. Right. And, or a canning line even, right. Because it just doesn't really make sense with the setup of things. Like okay. I can't. And the real estate that it takes up. Yeah. So a lot of that expansion is going to be looking at things potentially of, you know, um having barrels down there and just cellar projects and expansion of we're talking about, you know, getting a lagering tank and I have four more ports already wired and ready to go on the glycol. Right. Lines. Yeah. And so we have great You're yeah. in a really good position right now. <laughs> yeah. Think. Yeah. You know, it's just beautiful and it has so much potential. Yeah. And um but so that's like kind of you know what inspires me in the direction I see things possibly taking, but really what I'm doing right now is listening to our audience, mm-hmm. and I want to address what they are looking for. Yeah. And so that's I started the gig off.
1: with professional brewing is it's not
2: necessarily about you, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> to a degree, yes. But so I'm out here, and uh, I started off with just some clean American styles on a uh, draft and I did my best to make them well-rounded. I had a bitter IPA, I had a softer IPA, I had a hazy IPA, a double mm-hmm. IPA, but I also put on a robust brown ale. We had a Japanese lager, a uh, bohemian pilsner, a mm-hmm. uh, cherry goza. And so just trying to really reach all the audience and welcome everybody. And if yeah. people know that they can come into the brewery and they're going to find something that they like, and we aren't just an ipa brewery right i think that's a really strong starting point Mm
1: -hmm. i agree and you know having tried all of those beers with the exception of um i think the japanese lager was gone um but uh yeah they were all super solid and again considering your actual brewing experience and the way that you're approaching this and the way that you're actually pulling it off um I'm impressed by your attention to detail you mentioned your brew crew uh, a little bit ago uh, let's talk about them because obviously it's not just you oh, yeah. um, you've got other people that uh, especially with the volume of beer that you're having to pump out and the time that you're having to pump out um, you can do it by yourself, but that 's the path to madness more madness than you 've already uh, yeah. are experiencing so who who uh who are your who's your crew that you 've got working for you to help you out doing all of the Like you said, all the cellaring work and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. And so as you kind of mentioned, I, um, at this point can do everything myself, but between, you know, like paperwork and production documents and sourcing of ingredients and, you know, just everything, sometimes schedule doesn't quite line up Mm -hmm. and anticipating, you know, future growth and organic growth. I didn't, you know, go out and, you know, seek uh, people who like are already ready to fire inside a brewery and execute and, uh, want a full-time schedule or something like that. Instead, I kind of took the path of, uh, passion and love and just having that reflect inside the brewery. I mean, like the very same belief is like, I'm a weirdo and I go inside of there and I hug my (laughs) fermenters, you know? (laughs) uh, (laughs) Oh, so you're a brewer. Yeah. (laughs) And so the two people that I ended up bringing in is, uh, my partner, Alex, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, my best buddy uh Keller. And um Keller works over at Elizabeth Station. Alex is part of Pink Boots Society and she works over at the Aslan Depot. Mm-hmm. And so I have Alex now um feeling comfortable on all cooler maintenance and she does the line cleaning and you know she takes everything apart and she makes sure everything's full of integrity.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh I have Keller um kind of going a different direction and he's gotten onto the keg washing. Today after this, I'm gonna teach him how to clean a fermenter. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just And not implode it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or explode it, you know, they're yeah. only rated to a bar, so Yeah, yeah. But um
1: surprisingly it's much easier to crumple them than it is to explode them. Oh, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have seen that happen. <laughs>
2: Certainly wood nearby? Here yeah. we go. <laughs> well, it was. I didn't do it. It was. Yeah. Uh,
1: it was definitely operator error. That was it. That was a pyramid okay. back.
2: But yeah, so you know, it's like bringing them down there. It's like we all love sharing a tight space with each other. There's never like any type of you know like personality conflicts or you know whatever. It's like it's us hanging out and loving what we do and, and having organic growth. And I think that's been very well suited they're thankful for the five to ten hours they might get a week because they have other jobs and they're just passionate about beer and want an opportunity to learn and it is very difficult to get started in the brewing industry mm-hmm. so
1: especially in this town you know. yeah. yeah yeah if you live in iowa not so hard still hard but not as hard but pacific northwest bellingham seattle
2: yeah You know, it's like I can imagine some of the struggles that some of these, you know, production breweries like in the middle of, you know, nowhere might have is you don't have, you know, X amount of people in town that have already gone through brewing school and have years of experience and are just waiting for the gig to pop up. And I mean, Mm -hmm. you're talking about people who are just like bartending or they're farmers and, you know, stuff like that. And you're like, all right, well, anybody I hire, I'm just going to have to train up. Mm and you know so their dream is a lot more possible out there than it is out here right. right
1: yeah yeah i lived in my wife's from michigan and uh we lived out there for a year like in 2004 and uh and i was brewing out there and it was, it was a shock you know that the the talent i mean the talent was there but the number of people that were available to pick you know the small town that we were in didn't have a robust homebrew community didn't have any of that like you said it was a lot of farmers and a lot of just service industry people and it was it was a struggle to find people that could do it and were interested in being trained
2: yeah Yeah. you know there's i mean we kind of briefly you know mentioned on it uh last time we talked but brewing seems very glamorous, uh, from the outside. (laughs) And, um, but like the reality of things is like on a daily basis, you get covered in crap. I don't care how careful you are. You're going to get sprayed every now and then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, hopefully you're wearing your safety glasses and your boots and your Mm -hmm. gloves, you know, but, uh, you know, you're going to get wet and it's hot water and it's cold water. It's never a warm, soothing bath. (laughs) That's (laughs) either 180 degrees or like 30. <laughs> yep. So you're you're going to go through a lot of clothes. You're going to, you know, walk into a bar after your shift and, you know, hopefully people know you're a brewer. <laughs>
1: Boots are generally a giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, a friend of mine, uh, Bill Jenkins down in Seattle, who was always like, if you ain't wet, you ain't working. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. There's there's two temperatures in a brewery: either hot and humid or cold and humid. It's yeah, it's definitely not glamorous. You start early. You don't make a lot of money, generally, um, and it's a factory job. But but there's beer.
2: Yeah, so and you know there's okay. those of us out there, myself included, who are just sick and love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like that was kind of my problem inside of college: is I was going to school for engineering. And I got to the point where it just turned into all programming and the problem solving that I really loved and the hands-on aspect of it and stuff like that was like kind of becoming more clear that that was going to be more of like the rookie kind of beginner side. And then you're going to go more into management programming and kind of work with the computers. And I wanted to get dirty, but I (laughs) love the science. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Clearly. I mean, we talked about water chemistry for, a fair amount of yeah our, our time last time it's, which is another reason that i'm shocked of your actual brewing background
2: <laughs> oh it's incredibly important too mm-hmm. i mean like you know whatever you're adding to your water you should be able to drink that water straight up mm-hmm. and it should never be undrinkable to you
1: <laughs> yeah 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 tap water can make okay beer but yeah filtering is step one and then you don't have to go nuts but just a little bit of water chemistry.
2: Yeah. Uh, that makes... little bit of intention, you know, changes a beer from being okay to great. Exactly. So. Exactly.
1: Well, uh, let's take a quick sponsor break and uh, and we'll come back for the ever exciting second half. Skagit Valley Malting is an independent local craft malt house dedicated to sustainable farming practices and the use of superior maritime grains. Imported and commodity malts make a lot of beer, but craft malt makes craft beer. Using their patented technology, Skagit offers breweries a diverse variety of customizable malts that offer distinction in a crowded marketplace. So why import? They can provide what you're looking for right here, together. All right, well, we're back after a little
0: break. Um, Beer replenishing. Take another sip for good luck. I'm really
1: excited for your, um, for your. Do you pronounce it Kavik or Quebec? I say Kavik. Kavik. Yeah. Man. I've never gotten a, a good, solid, like,
2: this is how it's said, you know. Uh, and, I, you know, it's like watching a lot of uh, podcasts and Lars' blog and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that and hearing, you know, these legends and the people really paving the road on that research of this yeast, mm-hmm. uh They care a lot about the origins as well. And, you know, I heard about um, the way it's actually pronounced differently throughout uh, Norway and just the general region. I mean, uh, he was saying that some people pronounce it uh, kvike. Other people say kvike. Mm. And, um, you know, there's a couple of different variations on it. But like what he said inside of his uh, podcast, and I don't remember who this was inside of that podcast at this point, But um, he said that Kvike is the way that's like a lot generally accepted in the way, but then a lot of people just like find that kind of like weird to say, and it just goes to Kvike.
0: Mm,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, um, Kvike is a Norwegian farmhouse yeast that has long, long origins and history in Norway. Um, It is, there are two main strains that uh we can get here in North America the Sigmund Voss and then the Hornendal. right yeah. yeah and um the it's kind of the darling like if you ever read anything about beer right now it's definitely the 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 hot topic uh because it has the ability to go to crazy high temperatures like 30 40 celsius you know like 100 degrees fahrenheit and
2: uh and not be an estuary mess. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it's <laughs> can still P-O-H be negative.
2: Clean. Yeah, so no phenol production at all. Right, uh, doesn't produce fusel alcohols. It rips super fast. And, yeah, super hardy. Yeah, and it's also you know great on uh, where people are either on limited systems or people are just trying to be conscious about their environmental impact. I mean, mm-hmm.
1: you live in Texas or Mexico, don't have any way to control temperature. You can still make. Yeah. A, a relatively clean beer um, with uh, with this yeast in the middle of summer when it's 100 degrees outside.
2: Yeah. Oh, totally. And it's kind That's of fun, too, because they're kind of fruity. and um, Yeah, get a lot of orange little, from them. Yeah, yeah, a little slight tartness almost yeah. and um, a lot of orange. I mean, like that Voss is, you know, said to... Produce like a consistent orange profile all the way throughout its range, mm-hmm. uh, whereas uh, Hornendal, um, you get like a little bit kind of like pineapple and citrus uh, esters in the high side, but then on the low side of its fermentation yeast or range, you can you know make people think you used a Calielle yeast. Hmm. You can really get no expression inside of there, which is you know it's not only a workhouse horse but pretty versatile.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's also known for being super quick
2: and flocking out pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing a simple, you know, build, you can go from grain to glass inside of a week.
1: Mm -hmm. I did, which I did after, after we're done. Um, I want you to try that Sierra Nevada clone that I was going to just pitch Chico yeast into, but then, uh, Robert Darzu gave me that, that Voss, um, which I'd used before, but in a, in an IPA and at a higher temperature. And I just got all that orange from it, but this I fermented at like 70, 72 degrees. So I kept it on the, the bottom end of, of its um, spectrum. And uh, I, I don't get a lot of orange from it. Um, I'm actually pretty fond of it, Yeah. <laughs> but it was the same thing. I needed to produce it in like a week, week and a half, you know, be ready to serve and uh, did it. No problem.
2: I'm excited to try that. one. Out. <laughs> yeah.
1: We'll, we'll, we'll get to that for sure. Um, so this is the second half. This is kind of where I asked some pretty standard questions, uh, just about your favorites. You know, basically we get to know you a little better and, and what makes you tick. Um, do you remember, so you're from Chicago, so I'm assuming it's going to be a fairly, uh, localish beer for, for that or regional, but do you remember the first beer that
0: you've ever had? Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, Statute
1: of limitations is long gone. So don't feel like you're incriminating yourself. If you're like, well, I mean, I was obviously,
2: eight- you know, the uh, major domestic that got thrown your way, like when you just went to whatever party and you were underage, like you probably never even asked what was inside of the red solo cup. So I'm going <laughs> to, you know, exclude that. Mm-hmm. But the first um, intentional one that I remember is... We were going over to a, you know, college party and we we're spending the night and whatever. And someone was like picking up beer and um, they, I was like, yeah, just, you know, like get me whatever I can get with this, like 10 bucks or whatever. And that store happened to sell uh prepackaged growlers of rogue dead guy. Oh. And so rogue dead guy was my first actually consciously purchased beer. And I didn't know what I was getting into. I thought the label was cool. hmm. And I didn't know what a Maybach was, mm-hmm. and but you know you try that, and it's so much more than just your average domestic beer. It's like
1: full-bodied, a little sweet, yeah. yeah
2: and but you know it's like it all goes together. It's mm-hmm. uh, it it paints a picture for you when you taste that, and you know that was very inspiring. And it wasn't just bubbly water to my untrained palate. It's like. There's intention behind it, and I was like, "Okay, well, how in the world would you do something like
0: that?" Yeah,
1: so that was kind of the beer we were talking earlier about about the beer where you were like, "Huh, how does one go about doing this?" Yeah, that was
2: my gateway beer. That was
1: it. All right, it's a solid one, especially to get rogue in a prepackaged in the growler. I remember when they were doing that. I'm not sure if they if they still are.
0: I haven't seen it. In ages, yeah, I haven't seen yeah. it in
1: a long time. Uh. Yeah, all the way out in Chicago. That's that's crazy. Um, well, considering how how uh, short of a time you've actually physically been brewing, even though it's very clear that you have been a student of beer and a student of how these things happen since since then. Apparently, um, how how long ago was that? That the the Dead Guy Ale Night of Infamy. Oh. Um...
2: Twelve years ago 12 years ago yeah All right.
1: so that's a long time to be paying attention to what you're drinking and what you're doing instead of just being like yeah give me a beer
2: yeah yeah, yeah give totally. me a beer and i remember like the sam adams mix packs and then mm-hmm. they would you know bring that over to the campsite and then you know whether you're trying like i think it was called like latitude 49 or something like that. And that mm-hmm. was my first IPA. And I was like, Holy crap, this is better. Yeah. yeah, right, <laughs> I right. was like, yeah. why would anyone drink that? What's then, wrong you know, like, with this beer? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, a couple of years down the line and you're like,
1: well, all right.
2: Yeah. That, that was pretty good.
1: Yeah. And, uh, well it's just like with food, you know, your tastes evolve, Yeah, you know, and your appreciation of something that you didn't like when you were a kid or you didn't like when you were younger, you know, you try it as an adult and you're like, oh, I get it. I get it now. Yeah. the same thing. Uh, do you have a favorite beer to brew? I mean, I know in your limited time that you've actually been brewing might not be the case because everything's kind of your very tailor-made baby. But is there one that out of the the new offerings at uh, at 122 that you're really super psyched about? I mean, we were talking about the Kolsch that you've got coming out.
2: Yeah. You know, I've definitely got like, even like my little techniques that I found work well for me that I kind of cherish and hold on to. Uh, but I am very excited about, you know, the Kulsh coming up. Uh, my good friend, um, Jess for a long time has been asking me for a blueberry Kulsh and we went out to his farm, picked these blueberries. And I was kind of thinking about ideas of what to do and, She's going to be moving here pretty soon. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to finally brew that beer for her.
0: <laughs> and
2: so I got a colch inside the tank. And then I took those uh, fresh blueberries and put them in the immersion blender. And I double boiled to 160 degrees and brought that in there. And, you know, it's just coming out to be this like just clear, brilliant, like pastel kind of yeah. purple.
1: And you use the of- bike yeast on that. Yeah, right? the and yeast that we were
2: just talking about. Aside so from ending at seventy-five degrees, and you know, it's like brought down to one point eight Plato. Uh, it's nice and dry. It's not a sugar bomb or mm-hmm. anything like that. And, and so, again,
1: for those for those people for those uh, non brewers who might not know what Plato is, Plato is a variation of specific gravity. It's a different scale. Very roughly, if you take degrees Plato and multiply it times four, you get what would be the specific gravity. So, one point eight would be about ten oh eight, which is pretty dry.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, thank you for that. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. I forget. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> no. Nope. That's why I'm here.
1: I'm the translator. I have a buddy, old old friend of mine lives up in Grand Junction and uh he listens to these occasionally and he's like, I generally don't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> he's not a brewer.
0: <laughs>
1: but I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. But he likes beer and he it amuses him to listen to me ramble, so um, what's your, uh, do you have a favorite style to drink?
2: Yeah, I'm a Pilsner guy. Pilsner guy. You know, yeah, it's like you spend so much of your day around beer and, uh, Pilsners just start making sense. Yeah. They have full flavor, but they don't get you in trouble. And you can really see the craft behind them. Yeah. There's nowhere to hide. Right. And so I, I find, you know, like, whereas like, in the beginning I was inspired by big flavors and now I'm inspired by small flavors mm-hmm. and it's kind of weird how that flips, but I do really love trying everyone's Pilsners and seeing the variation between them. And it's like very telling of a it, brewer.
1: It's a great litmus test.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: If, if somebody has a Hellas or um, any kind of lager on, like, let me try that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause if that's good, everything else is going to be good. And if it's, a little sweet or not quite up to par is like, okay, well, let me try yeah, your IPA. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah, a good point of when you're a new brewer, you're inspired by big flavors. There was a, a beer that I made. It was probably the, I don't know, the fifth or sixth beer I ever made. And it was a raspberry coffee, chocolate stout.
0: Yeah, sounds about right.
1: Like the busiest beer you could ever make. Um, And I remember it being good, but I wonder how present day me would would feel about that. (laughs) Probably not the case. Um, As far as uh, as drink-wise, and it can be anything really, um, do you have a guilty pleasure? You know, something that when no one's looking, you
0: you take a sip of, or have a, a glass or a
2: bottle of? Oh, um, you know, it, it kind of feels like a crime now, but I'm a big fan of back in Chicago. There's this, uh, South American inspired brewery called five rabbit mm-hmm. and their Oktoberfest every year, uh, was called vita, y muerte, uh, life and death. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great Oktoberfest, but, I remember it being, you know, closer to like 7% and they brewed it with caramel and, um, it was always a very guilty pleasure. It's just delicious. Yeah. And I'm like, I know it's wrong, but it's <laughs> really good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what, what, what we're going for. <laughs> you know, uh, a, a very surprisingly common, uh, comment on that is white wine. Or okay. Pinot Gris. You know, I've gotten that answer quite a bit. Mm. It's like, huh, crazy. Like Everybody has their thing. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that uh, part of what 122 West is going to be about, specifically that is going to help separate you from, from the other breweries, is that not only are you going to be making great beer, but you also have a kitchen. Um, and so you are going to be purposefully pairing beer with food and and whether that equates to the food being paired to the beer that's being made or the beer being paired to the food that's being made you know who cares you know either way they're going to be made to complement each other yeah do you have uh, a favorite food pairing that goes with with one of the beers that you're making like when you drink it do you just want to say i i'm really craving this right now
2: well, it was a Japanese lager for me, but that sold really quick. Yeah. And I just, just cannot to wait for the next one to come out of the tank. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> there's a variation of it coming out that I think will be just as complimentary.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, so one of my buddies in town is Cambodian and he inspired me with his culture, uh, through the Japanese lager. And so I ended up adding some lemongrass and kefir lime leaves in kind of interesting ways. And, um, I ramped up the percent about half a percent higher and, um, well, no, I take that back. It was from 4.2%, uh, to 4.8%. Mm-hmm. You no, know, kind of walking into the fall here and like, I just really missed that beer with the burger. Oh yeah. it's So good.
1: So describe the, like, what, what is your version of a Japanese lager? Cause when I think Japanese lager, I think like, uh, um, no, I can't think of the name of it now. Well, you know, like Sa- Sapporo or um, Shingao. Shingao, uh, is that Japanese? It's like X I N G
2: H O or something like that. Oh, Zingu? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I was thinking that it was almost like South American. It's a black logger, right? Mm. Otherwise you have like
0: maybe I don't know, uh,
1: I could be I could be making things. Singha maybe? Singha, that's Thailand.
2: It's Thailand, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um anyway. But it's so it's a light lager, but what what in your
2: mind makes it specifically a Japanese lager? I'm trying to go after that uh pale shade, high carbonation, very clean profile. And I'm using about seven percent rice inside of it. Yeah, it's gonna so uh, there was some rice yeah. yep and keeping it low in the abb so it just stays light and crisp with a little bit of residual sugar to back it up make you know that you're drinking a beer
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh i'm also a big fan of lemon drop pops mm. and they add a very nice bright herbal aspect to it mm-hmm. and so when you drink that it just like i was inspired by the culture mm-hmm. the acidity I, crossed with the sweetness yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh So in like, that was kind of like the same thing, kind of like going into the Cambodian, like I have no idea how the Cambodians make their beer, Mm -hmm. but it's more just like working with people actually of that culture.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Nice. Uh, Do you have, uh, is there, uh, I mean, having, having been a student of breweries for longer than, than you've been a part of actual breweries. Is there a specific brewery or brewer that you uh, that you particularly admire? Uh, I, I used to say, like, do you have a hero or something like that? But that's not really what I'm going for, or a heroine. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, is there? And not that you look to copy them or mimic them in any way, but somebody sure. who who gives you inspiration that you can think of off the top of your head.
2: Yeah, you know, there's. Kind of a few different angles on that, you know, going back to the Midwest, uh, Metropolitan Brewing, uh, they did a lot of, you know, loggers and they were always the cleanest around and mm-hmm. just very respectable. Where are they out of? Uh, Chicago. They're yeah. out of Chicago. Yeah. Okay. And then Off Color Brewing, um, they're all about education. Uh, to my knowledge, everyone working there has come from Siebel Academy Wow. and, they do a lot of kind of um, extinct styles and then they do existing styles and very well executed. Um, so very inspired by them and being able to be inspired by tradition, but not necessarily abide to it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of aspired to be that one day. Um, but here in town, um, I really love, uh, Eric Jorgensen's beer up at North Fork and his willingness and ability to get weird and mm-hmm. improvise and be creative. I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Another and, hardcore student of beer.
2: Yeah. Uh, like just what he's doing out there is wild. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. And, um, agreed then, uh, you know, obviously Chuck and mm-hmm. I, like, I just, I love Chuck and yeah. Yeah. And
1: we're spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that I can go get a Vienna lager or a Hellas and have it be better than, you yeah, know, you know, just as good, if not better than what you get over there. It's like, all right, this is all right. <laughs> nice. Um, so I, I don't know how well traveled you are or how, you know, at, at least well beer traveled you are in the United States, but what are some of your thoughts on, the state of beer in different regions of
2: of the United States. Yeah. You know, you hear a lot about people talking about flooding of the market and, you know, when is the bubble going to pop? And we have so many breweries in this, you know, X amount of area to this population, like, is this sustainable? And I really think that the format's going to change. I think national brands, as this movement keeps moving, are going to have a harder and harder time. And uh, we're going to keep pulling away from that major domestic market. I mean, we've already taken a pretty good percentage of it, but we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. And as that starts happening, you're going to end up finding, you know, like you're going to have more kind of like neighborhood pubs and local regional flavor. I mean, it was one of the things that, you know, inspired me to travel uh before beer was food and when i went somewhere i wanted to try something that i wasn't going to get back home Mm -hmm. i didn't want to just you know go down to you know like the florida gulf coast and order mcdonald's i wanted to get something yeah yeah, i wanted to get something that they were pulling out of the water there right you know cooking up and like i want that local flavor and i think that to me that's what beer is becoming when i go to places it's like it's beer tourism. You know, mm-hmm. I want to, uh, when I get an Airbnb, I want to be able to walk to that, you know, local brewery and try out what they're doing and, yeah. you know, have that unique experience because that's how memories are made. Yeah. I'm and with you a hundred percent. Yeah. Like it's not going to be this type of, you know, like I'm going to have this California brewery's beer up on a shelf in Maine. Like, I think that's going to kind of fall apart and you're always going to have your brands that represent the actual, uh, brewing community and the image of things. And they're going to survive, but I don't think we're going to get to a point where, you know, you have entire, like everybody's going to have a national beer up.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the smaller is better. Um, I love, So, you know, I live in Sunnyland, the Sunnyland area of Bellingham. And, uh, you know, I love that I can walk to a brewery around here and then I can walk downtown and go get, you know, there's, you can just do a walking tour and go around. And, yeah, I'm the same way. Uh, I I grew up in Houston and when I go back to visit, uh, my parents live just a little bit outside of Houston and there's a, a, a bar called Flying Saucer that's not too far from their house. And I always go in there. I'm like, all right, you know, what you know, what do you have that's that's crazy? And of course they steer me towards, oh, well, we've got Stone, we've got Rogue, we've got, you know, and they start naming off all these West Coast breweries or just you know, well-known breweries, like, no, 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 no. What's from here? Like, right. give me Houston beers, you know, give me local beers. Where uh you know, talking about um you know, the state of, of things, where do you, where do you realistically see uh, the beer industry in five years, you know, and whether you want to concentrate on local here in Bellingham or even Washington or, or yeah, know, nationally or even globally, Just i mean, wondering what your thoughts are since you're relatively new to it, but you definitely have a vision and a thought process on it.
2: I definitely think in the next few years, um, I mean, we're kind of in logger phase right now and those things are always going to evolve. But, uh, in the next few years, I do find more emphasis is going to be drawn, um, on the brewers and the relationship that the actual business has with their brewers. I think that, uh, not that they're not valued, but I think they're going to be valued more mm-hmm. because as the competition stiffens, you're going to want to have, you know, the best beer being put out there and that beer tourism is going to lift and having a draw is going to bring people in and having a brewer who like takes ownership inside the place and has, you know, a say-so and, you know, the model and the culture inside of there. I mean, like the passion is what's going to drive the industry Mm -hmm. and that's, what's brought us here. And, um, so people are going to, you know, get more educated. It's going to be, Less of a, I'm just going to do this because I feel like a thing, and more of a, I'm going to do this because this is what's going to happen. I think intention is going to become more important.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like that. So another
1: another little quick rapid fire thing here. Um, do you have a favorite grain?
2: Well, yeah. Well, not like a particular grain, but like. I really love Patagonia malt. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I get not only really nice flavors out of it, but the times when I brewed with it are just really great memories. <laughs> and like, you know, <laughs> nice. sometimes you look at a certain ingredient and you just have good memories with it and you feel good about it. And like that translates.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: And um, yeah. so I, I look at that and I'm like, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. I like that. I've never heard it put in those terms, but I, I like that a lot. Um, what about hop? You mentioned lemon drop, but is, is, uh,
2: yeah. Is that I mean, favorite? lemon drop has been kind of like the hop that most people tell me and be like, man, that's like, that's really your hop. That's your secret ingredient and you know, whatever, but it is, and it isn't, you know, it's like, it's fantastic hop. I love it. And it's kind of a handshake hop. Like I don't really do much with it on its own. I always just kind of pair it to, you know, elevate what I think is missing in something else. And, um, but I also like just using hops raw. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really love taking something labeled as a bittering hop, but I see has like two and a half milliliters per hundred grams of oil inside of it. And then looking at that actual oil composition and being like, you know what, if I throw that in the whirlpool, it's probably going to be pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I would take something like Bravo hop from hop Steiner that, you know, had like 16.8 alpha on it. And instead of making like a bitter IPA with the, using it, using in the first wort and then losing all of that, Two and a half milliliters of oil ones, inside yeah. of there. It's like, why not throw it into the late side? So, and I would make a smash beer with that, and then all of a sudden you got this hop that's not even labeled as a dual purpose hop or mm. an aroma hop, but you're just getting huge orange and vanilla flavors out of it. And you're like, well, you know what? If it was marketed like that, they probably would have charged me fourteen a pound for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not fully I summarized, but man,
2: that really. really hits it and so you know the sexy hops out there are always great like i'm never going to turn down a citra or mosaic or uh, simcoe i mean like those hops you can just use by themselves and get a great beer right but um you know like what happens when like your simcoe starts tasting like cat pee again Mm -hmm. and you know like brewers on our side of system we don't have the opportunity to do hop selection we don't get to go out to the farm it's like i'm lucky if i get a contract but i don't know exactly what it's going to look like and then Mm -hmm. i'm in on it i uh usually buy spot hops and so what i get one batch might not be the next batch
1: yeah there's pros and cons to being on on contract yeah sometimes it's nice to be able to get spot hops because you can get one-off things that are
2: just fun totally and you know like if you can just pay attention to those oils and use things intentionally like i think hop blending's a lot better it gives you so much more adaptability if you find one change in one hop you can just change something else inside the balance inside of there and get a consistent profile
0: mm-hmm.
2: and i think that just makes you stronger
0: yeah
1: agreed what about uh what about yeast and we might have already covered this <laughs> oh yeast
2: i mean I definitely, uh, have been kind of known for getting onto the hazy IPA train Mm -hmm. and I just really love Imperial's 838 juice. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just so big and bright and it's pretty easy to work with. And once you get to know it you don't have a lot of issues harvesting it. And, um, but at the same time, like you can never like really replace just like chico kelly (laughs) just like something tried and true and dependable i mean the thing's a workhorse you can't mess up that yeast. yeah but uh
1: i like that the that that yeast really allows your grain bill to shine
2: yeah totally and
1: like so clean so neutral
2: you get to like get the profile you want inside of that and kind of coerce it to do what you want pretty easily Uh, and you can like really direct that spotlight to other areas on the stage and just let things shine.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Nice.
1: So, uh, down to the last few questions. This is one that I, I ripped off from a now defunct podcast called the dinner party download, (laughs) but it's, uh, tell us something that we don't know. And it can be about you or just a random piece of
0: trivia. It can be whatever you want.
2: Um, might have to think about that one for a minute. Okay,
1: <laughs> fair enough. Um, we'll move on to the next one while you think about that. Is there any advice for somebody who, like you, is a student of beer and wants to be where you are right now? Like, what what piece of advice would you give to to that person?
2: You know, things get hard. And um, you need to know that this is what you want to do. I would say be into it for more than just the science. You have to be mechanically inclined. And, um, you know, sometimes the easy way isn't necessarily the right way. There's, you know, a million people that go out there and get brewing school but then never get the chance to actually utilize it. And sometimes, you know, if you find that everything around you is Crumbling and you're in more of ruins than a flourishing state is you can use that opportunity to rebuild
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you can find opportunity through that I mean, if what happened with um you know Melvin never happened, I don't think I would ever have this opportunity to right. be where I am yeah. and yeah. nothing very... about that was easy like I came in as a rescue brewer, you know, right. I took over tanks that we didn't know what was inside them. Yeah, I um, I never had to make decisions inside of a brewery before. I never had to decide what caustic I was going to use inside of a tank, or <laughs> you know, it's like
1: all these little, little detail decisions. Yeah, yeah,
2: totally. And it's so much different when you have someone telling you what to do, and when you're coming in new and you need to build a place, and um, it was really hard for a long time and uh but you know there's a beautiful brewing community around here and Mm -hmm. i have some great friends and um you know just working together and listening to people and taking feedback and just feeling willing to grow is gonna get you there like don't be afraid to climb uphill yeah, yeah.
1: It is a very supportive community and not only on the brewing side of things, but also the customer, you know, the consumer yeah. side of things. They're very supportive. They're very forgiving to a point. You know, it's like, Oh, yeah, you didn't quite nail that, but I like all your other beers. I know that the next time yeah. it's gonna be great. So I'm gonna keep coming back.
2: And have some mm-hmm. like humility, you know. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. There's no room for any of that. You know, you you mentioned taking over the uh, the brewery with beer still in the tanks um, reopened the, um, <laughs> a memory for me of uh, in Michigan the year that we were there. I took over a brewery, little town called Boyne City, and uh, this brewery had been defunct for a year, two years. There was still beer in the tanks, and uh, it was a nightmare from moment one. And the reason that I not only that we not only came back from Michigan, but that I got out of brewing professionally at that point, it was just such a bad taste and uh, only looked to get back into it when Chris and I were thinking about Subdued and Patrick actually from Elizabeth Station, who was a, who was um, a third partner in Subdued. I had told him that story at some point and he was like, so you once told me that you were never going to get back into brewing again. What, what's different about it? I was like, well, That's a really good question. <laughs> you listen. Okay.
2: Yeah. Patrick's Patrick's a great guy. <laughs> oh, love I like Pat- talking love to Patrick. Patrick. love Patrick.
1: Um, so the thing that we don't know, did you think about anything?
2: How long does the average jousting match last?
1: Way to pull something random out. That was great. Um, I don't know. I would guess probably 45 seconds. I would imagine things are over pretty quickly.
2: Well, they actually all last until nightfall.
0: Nice. (laughs) Nice.
1: Well, on that, um, is there anything that I missed that that you want to add? And thanks so much for, for taking the time out and coming down.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for having me, and I talked a lot about uh, how we have some diverse, clean American styles on draft, Uh, but we also have some weird stuff inside the tanks Mm -hmm. to watch out for.
1: (laughs) Nice. Yeah, so I can personally attest uh, you're kind enough to run me through the whole gamut uh, when I was there uh, a couple weeks ago and there's all kinds of stuff coming. Like you said, there's also food and um and again, this is 122 West. It is in the old Melvin Brewing building and uses the same equipment but has nothing to do with Melvin Brewing other
2: than the fact that the tanks are there. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, please be patient with us. There's a, a million and one things to change inside of a place that you flip over and keep open so that people have jobs. I mean, we're still working with the merchant processor to like get our business name uh, or business license uh, name change going through Mm -hmm. an actual paperwork and the paperwork takes forever. And then having it actually reflect on it. Like Melvin doesn't have a single finger inside of here. Right. And, there's just a lot of things to change. I mean, just like a week or two ago, we finally got the new parking signs in. Right, you know, yeah. it's everything just- is
1: happening live. But you are also fortunate enough to be able to be producing beer and being open and operating under Gary's supervision yeah. under 122 West and mm-hmm. doing anything but the the name old is still being scrubbed away.
2: Yeah. Like I live inside of the Columbia neighborhood. This is my home. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to build relationships and I'm not here to hold anything back. Uh, if you have questions about the beer, you have questions about brewing, please come on by and say hi.
1: Mm-hmm. Except on Tuesdays, closed Except. on Tuesdays. <laughs>
2: yeah, thank you for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well Robert, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's go let's go drink another beer.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to that's that in Nevada. <laughs> yeah, let's do it.
1: I like that guy. And I'm really excited to watch and to taste his progress as a brewer. Kavake. Kavike. Kawike. Kawik? Who knows? I, like Robert, am also running that new darling yeast of the industry through its paces here at the house. It's a really fun yeast to use, so if you're a brewer, I highly recommend playing around with it. Go see the other Robert at North Corner and get to it and get down to 122 West and sample the wares. Sounds like it's gonna be the kind of place where the offerings will be a bit different every time you roll in. Fun, just don't forget, they're closed on Tuesdays. Okay, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. You can always reach out to me, ask me anything. Brewing questions, dating advice, beers I should try, what's the true meaning of life, Reach me directly at dave at taptrail.com. You can do it. Let me know someone listens to these. <laughs> if you enjoy Tap 10, please take a moment to rate us with all the stars on your podcast service of choice and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode. It really does make a big difference. I will talk to you next month. Got a couple fun things lined up coming up in the next couple months months to, uh, to round out this year of 2019, unbelievably. So subscribe, get all of them. Be excited. Okay, until then, may you have all beer and no jeers. Cheers.